saw you in Oxford only the other day. You spent at least three weeks in quarantine getting back to your house. Good to see you there. And I'm going to hand over to you now, Hugo. Super. Thank you very much. And I hope you can all hear me okay. Um, the, uh, uh, I'm interested you describe me as a solid member, Simon, because uh, after three weeks in quarantine, I'm feeling slightly solid, but I'm very relieved to be out. I finally had a haircut and uh, I'm very much enjoying getting out and about. Um, so, so some familiar faces in the crew, but for those of you who haven't met before, uh, my name is Hugo Walkinshaw. I'm based in Singapore. I come from a long background in management consulting and a more recent two-year background in uh, digital technology. Uh, working for a company called AdWorks as the Chief Strategy Officer, uh, really with a focus around automation and data. And uh, part of my journey through my consulting career doing digital transformation and in the last couple of years being in the software side of things um, has increasingly uh, kind, of, kind of given me a passion, made me aware of and given me the opportunity to do more around social impact. Um, I feel that in the last, uh, certainly the last year, uh, the many conversations that I've been part of to talk about digital have been talking about the workforce, uh, leadership, uh, communications, supply chains, um, business resilience and so on, all of which is very important and, and very pertinent. Um, but I kind of feel like there hasn't been enough dialogue around social impact and what, what's actually happening to, to the kind of the, the less fortunate people, the causes, the, the areas that people are focused around supporting and, and how um, those causes have been faring in the digital world and frankly, what else could we do? Uh, I'm very much a, a passionate amateur at this, uh, which is why I've um, asked uh, an old friend and colleague, Nick Hamilton, to join me today. Um, Nick is the CEO and co-founder of The Conduit. I'll let him explain that in a second. Um, but we're really just going to have, per Simon's intro, a 20-minute discussion um, about social impact in a digital world, um, what, what's going on, who's doing what, and, and perhaps concluding with, with maybe where people could spend some time, invest some time, um, give something back in, in what's currently a very fast-paced environment, a fast-paced world. So starting a conversation. Um, so with that, Nick, can I pass over to you really two things. One is a quick introduction to yourself um, and to the Conduit Club, and then also talking to us a little bit about how digital is, is having an impact on how you're running the Conduit, um, but also how you're enabling your ecosystem and and actually where you're focusing investment. Sure, thanks Hugo and thank you Simon for inviting me and hello, good morning, afternoon, evening to everybody. Um, great pleasure to be here. So by way of um, yeah, brief introduction, my name is Nick Hamilton. I'm a self-described um, reformed investment banker, fund manager, spent 20 years uh, in that business. And I guess the, the last 10 years in what I would now describe as impact investing. Um, which I, I came to through looking at different investments in particular for me in Africa and sustainable infrastructure, purely on the basis that as a fiduciary of other people's money, it was seemed sensible to me to be looking at investments that if they did no harm to the world, they weren't doing harm to themselves. Um, and then began to evolve and look at different ways that you could look at, examine or define uh, impact. And I guess as with any emerging asset class, there are always a huge plethora of people who want to define it, refine it, examine it, question it, measure it. Um, and usually along with that goes um, a variety of different conferences and certainly impact is no different there. Um, I discovered to my surprise that there were many all around the world, um, WEF, TED, Skoll, Summit, Aspen, to name a few, um, which typically all follow a five-star location, discuss bottom of the pyramid poverty alleviation, the irony of which was not lost on them all. Um, and then they would jump back on their plane head back to Hong Kong, Singapore, New York, London, fill in the blank. 
um, and be slightly confused about why they couldn't get scale in the impact that they were trying to have. Um, so for me, that was a, a bit of a, a light bulb moment. And I, I thought well, maybe we should try and find a way to create uh, a community or an ecosystem that could really focus on those things, provide a sort of permanent seat for want of a description for any one of those types of conferences um, and create a, a space for that, that community to meet. And that's what led to the creation of the Conduit Club in London, uh, which has been here for, for three years, has 3,600 members and really is, is, a, is a, a community that is of, of people that are passionate about social change. Um, unfortunately, the, the club was itself uh, a victim of the, the pandemic. Um, and in our case, just like all hospitality businesses were, um, in our case, that was coupled with a particularly aggressive landlord um, and a rather nervous bank who, when most landlords um, in the pandemic reacted by trying to be helpful to their tenants, ours took a rather different approach and saw it as an opportunity to try and steal back his building from us, um, which with the help of, as I say, a nervous bank, he, he managed to do. So we are just moving our location in London um, from Conduit Street uh, to Covent Garden. And I'm pleased to say that we will be reopening the Conduit um, in, in the summer of this year uh, and have a, a place for our 3,600 members to, to go back to. Um, but Hugo, you asked me a bit, a bit about what differentiates the Conduit, I suppose, is, is it's, it's clearly its mission um, in being passionate about social change. And the way that we tried to, to bring that across was, I mean, but by through, through the programming that we did at the Conduit, and you know, nowadays the local pub has programming, um, but we spent about a million dollars a year on the kind of programming that we were doing. Um, and we're lucky enough with the ecosystem that we had created, you know, that membership made up of you know, investors, traditional um, philanthropy, um, film, TV, theater, media arts, and NGOs, not-for-profits and social entrepreneurs. Um, to be able to have a wide variety of people who would come and engage with that community on various different topics, um, from Christian Amanpour coming to speak to us about you know, the future of media, particularly in the digital age, to Vice President Al Gore coming to talk to us about his investments in sustainability, um, Ken Roth from Human Rights Watch, um, you know, Chitwell Ajafor coming to talk about impact in his passion, um, so we, we've been able to spend a lot of time creating a community that, that now is able to sustain itself by taking those ideas and moving them forward. So very excited to, to, to bring that back. But that's you know, my sort of journey to, um, to impact a little bit and, and what we're trying to do. And I'll, I'll talk in a second a bit about um, uh, what we're thinking about around digital and how we're looking at that and some of the other things we're doing. But um, Maybe Hugo, you want to just share with us your you know, your journey to impact. I mean, what 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 drove you to, or inspired you to be looking at that as something that you felt was was worthwhile looking at. Yeah, no, thank you. It was it was um, not as exciting as yours, I'm sure. But um, I, I I was thirty years in, in in a big four consulting firm, first with Deloitte and then with EY, and a lot of the social impact work that we would do as an organisation was. Um, was uh, very good causes, but very national and, and sort of pr proximate to the office and sort of the, the, the interests of the local leadership team. And a lot of it involved, um, you know, the occasional event, fundraising, maybe getting a little bit of time, but but it was it was kind of not enough. Um, and it, and it's, it was well-intentioned, but it always felt um, a little bit light and, and perhaps a little bit misdirected. Um, and when I left and went into the technology world, one of my responsibilities as the Chief Strategy Officer was the social impact agenda for the organization. And I went from this 250,000 person business around the world to this 600 person business where actually I could go out and make it up 
Um, and I kind of find that hugely liberating. So about two and a half years ago, I, I started on that journey. And it wasn't about um, charity and it wasn't about giving time or doing some fundraising and, and having a, you know, an event or a one-off. Um, it was actually about how can we take what it is that we do, in this case, software, uh, cloud technology, and how can we use that to make a difference? Um, and the sort of seminal moment for me uh, in 2019 was uh, meeting and, and, and starting a relationship, which I still have today, uh, with a company called With You With Me, uh, which is based in Australia. And weirdly, it was, I think in 2018, Asia Pacific's fastest growing technology company, which is not something you would typically expect to see coming out of Australia, given China, Japan, and India in our region. Um, and they have a focus, and their focus is to uh, give careers to people coming out of the military. So it's focused around veterans. It was started by three uh, still relatively young, I think they're in their mid-30s, um, veterans themselves who had a terrible time coming out of the army in 2015 and, and not being able to get jobs and just finding it very, very hard to take a, an atypical 15-year military CV to try and fit it into today's, today's world. So they got very focused on two things. One was around um, a, a cloud-based filing, um, so a quite complex profiling system to, to, to review and match skill sets of candidates to jobs and bridging this gap. And the second one was, was taking a punt on digital technology. So blockchain, cyber, um, automation, digitization, and so on, and, and mapping military careers into those disciplines. Um, and it's actually gone gangbusters. They have 12,500 people on their books in Australia. Uh, they've launched in Canada, they've launched in the US. Um, sadly, not launched in the UK yet. I'm, I'm trying to help them with that. But I found that hugely inspiring because it was us giving our software to with you, with me, to go into their training stack um, for free. To uh, and it, it kind of served a commercial purpose for us because it was helping create people that were trained in our software and knew what they were doing. But also, it was helping people that had served and, and would otherwise have found it quite hard to get back into the workforce. Um, and that was a huge trigger for me that actually it's not about. It, it took it from being charitable and. and, and um, I guess, sort of slightly arm's length to actually being pr practical and pragmatic and very real. Um, and that's kind of what kicks started the passion. Amazing. And I, well, that's a, I mean, it's a great way to, to, to come to it. And I think it's, I, I would share that. You, you find something that kickstarts that, kick that passion and then you know, want to go on and, and look at it and, and examine it in more detail. And that was really why, you know, for us at The Conduit, we, we decided to create a, a platform um, that is available both in real life and digital um, called Conduit Connect. So one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we were doing um, with that ecosystem we created was exactly as you're saying, making it real and, and giving people a mechanism um, to actually do things so they could measure it themselves. And for us, that was Conduit Connect is about connecting impact businesses that are seeking either to raise funds or raise money, but not exclusively that. They may also want, just as you've been doing, um, with, with, with your time, giving people giving time to help them look at a new market, um, look at a new product, um, and develop those things. And we've so far that entity, that platform, which is, is, is available both digitally and, and in real life, has funded about 15 million pounds directly into impact, not necessarily startups, but companies looking for all of those things um, across a, a pretty diverse range of, of um, different impact spaces. Um, so education, uh, healthcare, um, and sustainability. I mean, I can give a, a couple of examples that, that sort of I've found particularly interesting and were not in my bailiwick, but one is uh, the, uh, the rather interestingly named uh, Erase All Kittens, um, which I remember when it first came across my desk as a, on our investment committee, I wondered what on earth it was. 
um, which is a programming company that is particularly targeted at, at teaching young kids, in particular young girls, um, to code by tricking them into solving problems, playing games without realizing that they are coding. And it's really had two main, I mean, they, they won two global solve challenges. They partner with MIT in developing um, their product, but it, it's two main impacts are, it's, it really does appeal in particular to, to young girls. So from the age of eight, nine upwards, um, but it's also available because it's digital to a group of people. Otherwise, we'd find it very difficult to get access to um, coding teaching. So we've been thrilled to be um, involved in that and helping them grow their business to you know, a, a very significant size. Um, a second, which was definitely outside of my comfort zone when I came across it first, is um, a company called Hello Clue. So Hello Clue is really a, um, a menstrual cycle monitoring app. Um, and its real purpose and impact is that it has just received in the last month FDA approval um, to be used as a contraceptive because it is able to predict, for, predict fertility with a 98% degree um, of certainty. So for women who, particularly in the US, for example, where access to healthcare is, is complicated and very expensive, um, getting contraception can be a real problem. Um, and it's enormously successful and helpful in, in that. Also for people who are culturally um, contraception is, is a problem having a digital um, app that does the same thing is I mean I, yeah, the, the, the benefits of that are, are just enormous um, and they are now um, 8 million users worldwide and, and growing um, and the third would be a more sort of typical and sustainability area um, company called Kogo which is helping people identify or sort um, some of their lifestyle choices by being able to purchase things from companies that are either B Corps or paying the living wage or sourcing sustainability and doing those kinds of things across a very diverse range um, of different products. I mean, from as basic as being able to go to your supermarket and um, scan the QR code and get details of where our products come from um, to what decisions you may make about buying clothing or shoes or holidays or a car. Um, and has also now, I mean, got 25 million users around the world and particularly um, strong base as well in, in um, Australia, New Zealand and, and Southeast Asia. And has just been linked in with one of the large Australian banks to be able to look at people's spending patterns to help them suggest what they might spend on differently to improve, for example, their carbon footprint. So I, I guess you know, for us that digital or looking at companies that are digital and providing that to our members, both digitally and in real life, has been um, a, a very important way of being able to get scale. What we as a sort of the conduit community would see is the, you know, the plethora of different challenges and problems the world has as being you know, problems waiting for a solution rather than problems that you want to ignore which, um, or, or, or defer, which we really can't afford to be doing anymore. So you go, I want to just come back to you then and, and ask, I mean, in terms of going from being a, a consultant in digital to now building sort of cloud and software, how have you seen that uptake from the people that you've been dealing with and that change? I think the biggest, the two impacts, one, one was just the mindset and the shift in, in the traditional business world around how you engage and source and procure and, um, and implement solutions. Um, and there used to be a, a kind of a, a very traditional way of doing it, um, uh, uh, procurement and IT led. Um, wanting to sort of look in the eyes of the vendors, people on site and, and data security, meaning we had to sort of turn up at a client and, and do a proof of concept there. And then all of that went out the window last March and, and everybody has had to lurch into this kind of world of trust where you are doing things virtually. And I think that get, getting over that hurdle 
has just opened up a huge number of possibilities and, and things that we now do. It, it, it has created a whole bunch of different issues around too much working from home and, and engagement in offices. But what it means now is we can absolutely deploy people from all around the world to, to work on a project and, and to, to create a solution, um, which previously was kind of we did, but it was very much in the background. Now it's very much in the foreground and actually almost expected. Um, and just to come back to with you with me, the, th the other piece for me that's, that sort of I, I personally changed was I began to make connections between organizations in different parts of the world that were very national before lockdown and have become very international. So I did a lot of work with a charity in the UK called Astrid. And Astrid focuses on helping people with terminal illnesses, but also helping their immediate relatives and carers get back into the workplace for whatever time they have left. Um, and they can work part-time. Sometimes they can only work um, at certain hours of the day or the night. They can work from home. Um, but it's about giving people some respect and giving people some opportunity and actually connecting with you, with me in Australia, with Astrid in the UK to help um, with, in some cases, start careers and others change careers and having people, you know, older people, switching into being coders and programmers and going through the with you, with me technology and then being able to work not just in the UK, but help out in Australia. It was just a sort of a ridiculous aha moment I had about six months ago and kind of put the two together and, and it's been fantastic. So the world, had already got a lot smaller, but but actually it's got even smaller for me, just in terms of being able to make those connections. So that's been great. Simon, I'm conscious that we've got a couple of questions popping up in the chat. Is that the time that you- Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, was just gonna come in there. So thank you so much, Hugo and Nick, uh, for for your talk. Very interesting. Um, from from my point of view, actually, Hugo, I just wanted to mention when you are talking about the um, the opportunities that the, the work you were doing towards um, veterans uh, or, or, or those leaving the military. Uh, this is my reminder to say that um, Forum's uh, philanthropic venture Sporting Chance Prize Draw that I launched uh, last week, uh, one of the charities we're supporting is Future for Heroes, which does exactly the work that you were, you were talking about. So I'd love to, and I know you've supported me on that. So thank you for that. Appreciate that. Um, but this also gives me an opportunity to bring in uh, Michael, Michael Meehan, um, with whom uh, I have founded Forum for Impact um, and our program starts uh, this November. And Michael, I'm glad to see that you've, um, uh, you're here and that you've uh, contributed in the, in the sidebar. So would you, would you uh, put your thoughts please to, uh, to Nick and Hugo? Sure, sure. Hugo, Nick, thanks, uh, thanks for coming in today. It's a an important subject, and it's so nice to see it uh, making its way into forum. Um, yeah, I think my sub, my my question was more around. Um, uh, we always talk about the point solutions around social impact, or on the environmental side, or on the government governance side, and we're and we're always talking about sort of these the, how technology can solve specific problems. But there's a major trend within investment as uh, to approach it more systemically, right? To uh, look at the interdependencies or the codependencies among environmental, social, and, and governance. Um, do you see a role today within within that 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 world of digital to to combine all of these things, or do you think no, we should really stay in our thematic camps and really focus on social and environmental and governance? Um, I'll I'll have a quick crack at that from a digital point of view, and Nick, if you can have a have a, a deeper think. Um, I think the short answer is that from a, I don't think it's an enabling issue. I think that's a governance and um, choice issue. So I think we've always had that 
ability and that structure in the background but, but I think people have just been historically siloed and I don't know whether it's about how you want to meet or or how you're setting up um, funds um, when it comes to doing charitable work as an example I'm a big supporter of health heroes and when we tried to forge health heroes in Singapore it was a huge problem because you're not allowed to use um, in events in Singapore you can only only tax purposes set up charity for the benefits of the local country so you kind of end up in situations like that where there's well-meaning but kind of not very helpful regulations and legislation that, that's around the patch and I think it just muscle memory means people sort of just stay in the box of doing something local trying to knit together um, uh, sort of themes and organizations to be quite hard what COVID has done and the big sort of digital advancement is, is now that whole sharing is possible and I think it's I think it's it's broken that ability to operate you know only locally it's, it's kind of creating a platform so I think that it, the the structure is there i think the willingness is there i think people have had more time to actually perhaps look at this and, and they've, they've sort of the realization the growing awareness is there um i do still have a question mark about the legislation and, and, the, and the kind of the level of government influence and how do we how do we kind of find a different sponsor or somebody who can be global um and nick maybe that's a little bit back to the investment side of, of the problem yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think it's it's a great question. I, I I actually would say two other things are happening alongside that. I mean, you know, digital. What's happening amongst you know, both Hugo and I have you know, young young kids who are always challenging us on what we're doing and how we're looking at it. I mean, you know, that group of consumers are driving change in a way that is forcing people to think. You know, big companies who either would have thought about you know, in a token manner greenwashing or however it might might have been described as. Um, they are being forced to to think very differently about how they engage with that consumer group, not just digitally, but also through what they do and how they do it. Because you know, that group of people, through the various different things that we've been talking about this morning, are increasingly aware and make decisions on what they want to do, where they want to go, who they want to buy from, who they want to be associated with, whether they want to join the forum or the conduit or whatever it may be. Um, that they are doing those types of things based upon you know their own, their lived experiences of of, of those entities. And I think you know, that is blurring those lines, Michael, to, you know, in, in your question, in a way that you know, I think in, in the main is, is good. And I think it's good for two reasons. You know, forcing you know, big business to think differently about how it invests I mean, the financial management business, how it invests, but also big companies and where they put their investments is it, it, driving that process to, to get scale. And you know, those changes therefore have to be real because they've historically been, you know, as, as Hugo was saying, either very regional or you know, much smaller in what they're doing and, and sort of addressing a very specific need. And I think alongside that is the blend that you're seeing between a traditional role for charities and philanthropy, which you know, there is always a role for that. You know, there is never going to be a market solution for everything, nor should there be, but driving lots of other change, which helps um, get scale in, in solving some of those 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 problems, I think is is happening because of what's you know, the the digital age that you know, our children are driving us towards. Yeah, are you happy, Michael? Do you would you want to come back on that? No, I think I think that's great. I think that's great. I mean, if you look at something like climate change, like how as an investor, how can you invest in climate change and developing markets without incorporating social? Right. And yet investment Absolutely. does. And that's one of the things around the ESG finance space that we're trying to figure out. And how can digital enhance that? Because what we see is digital really helping point solutions and not the whole thing. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe the whole lockdown experience has moved things out a little bit into a more global context. But um, yeah, that, that, that's a tough nut to crack for sure. 
And congratulations, Nick, by the way, on uh, on Conduit getting set up in Coven. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I also had a, an extraordinary altercation with your former landlord, Nick, uh, about 10 years ago. Um, and I'm very happy to share that with you off the record. Um, Michael, um, Michael Ledzian, uh, who runs uh, Sports for Schools, which also is one of the charities that uh, Sporting Chance is supporting. So Michael, come, come forward with your question, please. Ah. Oh, it's me, still muted, still muted. You're still muted. Unmute, I keep clicking on mute. Are we on, are there now? Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah we're there, excellent, good, good. Um, it's interesting, Michael, your comment about um, sort of the movements and things. I mean, in many ways, um, we always look at averages, and actually, it's going to be lots of individuals who make a difference, I think. Um, and actually, there's a huge variety in, in, in all of that. Um, but my question, actually, for, for Nick and Hugo was, uh, what do you think the relative importance is of um, individual action and hopefully eventually leads to movements sometimes versus top-down central government action or even coordination action um, to, to address some of the, the fundamental social issues which actually social entrepreneurs uh, are trying to address. Um, I, Simon you know, has introduced sports for schools. We, we actually help young people be more physically active and we bring Olympic athletes into schools to do that to encourage healthy living and, and we run it as a social enterprise. Um, but that's an, a small example. But I sometimes feel we're just a small fish in a very large pond, albeit I feel what we're doing is very good um, uh, you know, at a macro level. What, what's uh, the central top yeah, down? I'll take a crack at that, Hugo. I mean, I, I, Michael, I mean, first of all, you know, congratulations for doing that. It's an extraordinary thing to be doing and, and wonderful. And I think your question goes right to the heart of you know, one of the reasons I said that, that, that we decided to try and set up an ecosystem like the conduit. I mean, you, you will never have a substitute for people who are not passionate about social change. They're individuals who have a driving passion for whatever it may be, whether it's sports, it's education, it's you know, women's issues, it's uh, human rights. That doesn't matter. You need to have those inspirational entrepreneurs and leaders um, who are going to take a position and lead or show, um, lead by example and show a way of doing or thinking about things differently. Um, but around them, if you create an ecosystem that's neither finger wagging or lecturing around, you know, you have to do this because it's good for, but you show people why it's something that actually just, it, it's ultimately just common sense, um, but enable those entrepreneurs to get whatever it may be that they want, whether it's expertise, it's introduction to new markets, it's scale in how they create or add five different sports to the, the suite of things that they may offer or grow from you know, particularly long, you know, a particularly strong local presence to a more regional and international one for which you know, they, they may need help to be able to get scale in those things and you find people who can help you know, plug in those things much more quickly. So that combination was, or creating a, a, an ecosystem that could help that combination is really important. And I think you, know, you, you asked about sort of the government role and governance around those things. I mean, I think if people are leading by example with those, I mean, government you know, always will play catch up in that and has, you know, has done, there's been some great initiatives, Big Society Capital and others who we've worked a lot with, for example, um, doing some great things, but there's you know, they, those things will, or government will never lead nor probably should it in, in those areas. It will, it should follow and be able to support with that ecosystem. But actually the group of people um, who are passionate about social change is, is growing all the time and being able to create that connectivity, whether it's in real life or digital, that helps social entrepreneurs get more access to those um, to those people that can help them get scale in what they're doing. I think is really is is is, is key. 
yeah, the UK, just very briefly. So if I look at government and if I put aside lack of leadership, lack of funding, you know, lack of longevity and, and continuity and consistency, I, I just I don't see how government can take the lead without um, short term interests, some of which are national, just getting in the way. And, and I think I think it is about um, the passion and the inspiration and, and individuals coming together in a kind of community and an ecosystem like the conduit. To, to, to set the tone for government to then enable. I kind of see it in that sequence. I don't see government taking the lead. I, I think otherwise it's like watching paint dry. So we've come to the end of our time, but I'm just very quickly going to ask, um, oh, a couple more questions come in, but but uh, Rob Garrett uh, in Singapore. Rob, if I ask you, um, uh, if I ask the question on your behalf, if that's okay, just in terms of time um, and, uh, it's it's not that it's not that last minute question. So um, to wrap up a program, it's what do you see as the biggest social challenges coming out of COVID nineteen? So maybe just just one or two quick points, Nick. One or two quick points, Hugo. And then I'm afraid Ocean and Michael, I'll need to call it a, a, a day at that point. But thank you for uh, asking your questions. So you go. I mean, my 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 two would be. I mean related but one is is it's just people's mental health and therefore their confidence in being able to go back to doing what they were doing i mean i i think that, that is you know we, we are at a i think now after this length of time in lockdown particularly in the uk looking at how different people have dealt with it but i, I think we are at, a, at a, a tipping point where people need to have confidence that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that they will be able to go back to what they are doing and i think that has been that's a, a huge challenge for how you know, that's managed both by by government and by businesses as they try and really bring their workforce back into into work. Uh, yeah, for me, it's privilege. Um, I, I think there's a there's just a increasing gap between kind of the haves and the have-nots, and I think it transcends ethnicity and nationality and religion and so on. And I think if you if you pull apart, I think COVID has shone the pandemic has shone a big spotlight on it. And I think the thing that actually my kids talk about to me is privilege that that for me is a is a, is a is a big big challenge yeah thank you so much well thank you both uh, on behalf of everybody i'm just going to finish by reminding everyone that on thursday a couple of days time at five o'clock uh uk time gmt we've got david gork talking to us uh, the former chief secretary um to both chancellors osborne and uh hammond uh, and he's talking on Rishi Sunak, uh, the man behind Rishi Sunak, uh, and um, where Britain's place in the world is, uh, following what we learned from the budget the other day. So I hope very much that you'll join us for that. But for the moment, thank you to Hugo, thank you to Nick, and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.